Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Essentia is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hola. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier. Thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Welcome to The Health Podcast, a new season from BBC Good Food. I'm Tracy Ray, Qualified Nutritionist and Health Editor here at BBC Good Food. In this series, I'll be your host as we explore the world of health and wellness through a series of interviews with renowned and innovative experts across the globe, where I'll be seeking out some of the best practical tips and advice they have to offer. Remember that all content provided here is for informational purposes only. If you have any questions or concerns related to your personal health, you should first seek the advice of your local healthcare practitioner. This week, we're talking LGBTQ plus nutrition, what it is, why it's important, and where to find support. Joining me is Daniel O'Shaughnessy, award-winning nutritionist, certified functional medicine practitioner, and soon-to-be author. Daniel has over 10 years of clinical experience supporting more than 1,000 clients to find better health at his clinic in Harley Street, London. Hi, Daniel. Welcome to the podcast. Thank (laughs) you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to chat to you. Thank you. It's uh, you know, it's very, it's really exciting. So great. Yeah. I mean, I I found you on Instagram actually, um, and then I re- I read into your website and and things like that, and I just thought it was so interesting. Some of the things that you're you're talking about. So I'm really excited to ask you so many questions. Perfect. Yeah. Shall well, we dive in? Dive in. Let me see if I can help. <laughs> Brilliant. So 
I think something that a lot of listeners might be wondering to start with is what exactly is LGBTQ plus nutrition? So, um, well, I'll just step back a bit in terms of how I discovered L- the, you know, I'm, I identify as a gay man myself, um, but that didn't really, I didn't really have the idea of um, <clears throat> going down the nutrition route with LGBTQ plus nutrition. Um, my f- background was actually as an addiction therapist, where I was for about seven years working in a drug service. Um, I then decided I wanted to retrain and become a nutritional therapist. And I've now been in the field for 10 years. And I've worked across the whole sector of nutrition, um, whether it's one-to-one in a clinic, doing uh, retreats, talks. But I've really now started looking at the LGBTQ plus sector. Um, so in the time I've, in the 10 years, I've seen over over a thousand clients, a large of them identifying as LGBTQ plus. And they, they come in for a range of health issues. But more and more, I started to see themes emerge and highlighted that individual needs among the community. So it could be, you know, support for health issues, um, such as sexual health. It could be supporting for an individual whilst they're going through a transition uh, to become, to be transgender. Uh, or it could be understanding the needs of someone who, who is living with HIV um, or fertility uh, for same-sex couples. Uh, and then mental health considerations for the LGBTQ plus population. I think with something like mental health, we're so focused on the psychological element uh, that there's also like a lot nutrition can do with it, um, especially with things like addiction. And then also we have in the LGBTQ plus sector, we have the lifestyle behaviours, which, um, you know, you, you may want to support. And I'm not condoning these things, whether it's um, partying excessively, but in able to support that if they are happening. So... When the layperson thinks about nutrition, they think really about um, fitness, gym, eating a balanced diet. Uh, but the truth is really like nutrition has really developed to encompass so much more than that. Uh, so it can play a role. Yes, it plays a role in maintaining weight, weight and preventing certain diseases. But there's also a lot of evidence showing that, that the food we eat plays a massive role and in some health conditions that we experience. So that's really where I decided, you know, and the idea had to hit me on a, in the face to really go, right, I want to focus on this because there's nothing out there that actually supports people doing this. I think when I first heard about this concept of LGBTQ nutrition, the first thing that came to mind for me was transgender support. Um, so it makes a lot of sense to me that within the process of transitioning that there might be quite significant changes to things like metabolism, hormone balance, or even certain biomarkers such as blood pressure or cholesterol as a consequence. Um, and I was wondering if you can tell me a little bit about where nutritional support sits within this process. In terms of transgender, the transgender community. Yeah. So in terms of that journey. So, I mean, I, I need to stress, like, in terms of looking at um, an individual section uh, and even looking at transition support, there's no magic pill to be able to help your transition or 
whatever issue you're looking for support with, you have to, first of all, get the foundations of your diet right. And that I cannot stress that enough. So I think, you know, the importance of balanced diet akin to almost like the Mediterranean principles, you know, protein, complex carbohydrates, lots of fruit and vegetables, unprocessed food, for whatever area of LGBTQ plus nutrition you want to focus on. Now, when we look at transgender support, and the reason why I say you have to get the foundation support right is because it then takes a lot of the, you know, a lot of the stress and um, it, you actually will have a smoother transition than just by going in there and thinking that a multivitamin is going to help you or whatever supplement it is. I always use the phrase, there's no point putting new wood floors down in a burning house. So, so addressing any issues around that. Um, and supporting the health, naturally. So transitioning in itself, it's quite a long process. It has medical appointments, medication, um, potentially surgery. Not everyone has surgery. Um, also adapting to the new life and about accepting who, that, who your new person is. Um, so, you know, there's areas of, you know, I think transgender individuals, they grow up, as with other LGBTQ+, um, individuals with a lot of shame, rejection, guilt, anxiety, all around acceptance. There's extra like micro stresses that are quite unique to transgender individuals. And these can be sim simple things like using a changing room or using a, a correct bathroom. And we see, or even playing sports, we see a lot of these headlines in the news. But not only does that impact your psychology, but the first thing what it will do is it, it can impact your stress hormone, stress hormones and the, the elevations of cortisol. So this is, you know, it takes a very, very strong person to become resilient. And it's not right that we have to, but transgender individuals are just that. And they have this almost, you know, point where the stress becomes a normal thing to be. So taking a step back and thinking this, you know, how am I dealing with stress? That's the first step for both female to male and male to female transgender individuals. But going a bit more into detail, both female to male and male to female transgender individuals have different medications. And with medications, there become side effects. And then there's health challenges associated with that. So what nutrition can do is it can help minimize the side effects with taking such medications and to help create hormone balance in, in, in effect. So just just to break this down for anybody listening, because um, I know when you're talking about cortisol that you're talking about the stress hormone and then also as part of the um, as part of the process of transitioning, whether that be male to female or female to male, um, often that that medication or therapy or whatever you've agreed with your doctor um, can involve a lot of, of hormones. Mm. So, you know, all hormones essentially work together. So, you know, and you've got this, your, your body's going through a lot of stress anyway with a transition, whether it's psychologically and physically, you know, you are being becoming someone you, the real you, in, in, in effect. And it's a lot of either psychological barriers, physical barriers to go through. That said, not everyone will have um, side effects to medications. And, and also, some might have, you know, a little bit of a side effect, but it could be a positive thing. So testosterone might increase ha facial hair growth, where if you're going from female to male, 
then that could be a good good a good uh, good thing to do. Um, but also, there's the benefits versus the you know the risks in terms of hormone therapy. You know, it's it's. So this is what you need to understand. But what you can do is look at factors what influence your hormones and understand how your diet and lifestyle can support hormonal balance. So it's not, it's about, so this, this, is, this is quite important when you look at transgender individuals because you take, you know, the, the side effects may, may happen from taking medications. So if you help balance your hormones, you look after the systems in the body that either process hormones or remove them. So in the case where um, a female might be transitioning to a male, so they would be, um, I mean, I'm sure there's there's lots of various things in, involved, as you mentioned, but thinking about the they're taking testosterone therapy, um, what are some of the, the things that they might want to consider nutritionally? Well, there's a set of nutrition principles that you might consider for both um, uh, male to female, female to male. And of course, when I say that, I also mean that, you know, you might not label yourself male, you know, you might be be non-binary. The main things you need to think about are your liver health, your digestive health, and your blood and your blood sugar. So, you know, in terms of looking at your liver, your, you know, your liver is one of these things that's, you know, it processes everything and it processes what the medications you're taking. So, you know, you might want to, um, it can help with if you, if you support your liver by either limiting or avoiding certain things that aren't necessarily good for it or overloading it. So this could be things like alcohol, uh, you know, not so great foods, inflammatory foods, such as fried food, sugar, smoking, uh, recreational drugs, uh, looking at pesticides, herbicides, herbicides, see if they're in, in your diet. But also there's other things that you could do to increase to support your liver and actually to help, you know, help not... Your liver does a great job at detoxification itself, but what they can do, these certain foods could actually aid it and help it. So these could be things like coffee is a good one, green tea, um, berries, and also cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. So that's <clears throat> looking at in terms of the liver. But when the liver's done its job, what it will do is it will push everything into the digest- digestion to be excreted. And that's where the waste is. is your, your waste is the byproducts of what's, le- what's been metabolized. So your gut health is very, is very important here. So I say to any transgender client or individual, how is your digestion? And to understand what's going on, because if your digestion's in a poor state, what can happen is the hormones could end up being reabsorbed and then cause symptoms of a hormone imbalance. And when we're talking about digestion being in a poor state, you're talking about, you know, maybe if they're experiencing symptoms like bloating or constipation or diarrhea or any of those uncomfortable symptoms. (laughs) The most important thing for a transgender individual is to not be constipated. Explain that. Because you want to be able to remove, the, the, the digestive system needs to be rem- pro- moving to be able yeah. to remove the waste products. So you're removing all of those toxins yeah. and so, waste products that the liver has. And it could be more looking at, you know, constipation is quite a varied thing to look at, but it mm. could be so simple as increasing fiber in your diet, either yeah. through complex carbohydrates or fruits and vegetables. So that's an important thing to look at. Or how good is your 
how good are you eating any beneficial bacteria foods from fermented yeah. foods so or things or like stre- yogurt kefir sauerkraut all of those kind of things exactly yeah. so these things are really good at you know helping support the gut environment mm-hmm. um so so it, it's digestive health is quite a open topic and I could talk to you for two hours on it and I don't yeah I'm trying to condense it into like 30 seconds here but yeah if, if you have anything I think if, if you have digestive issues the important thing is to go to your doctor first of all and, in, and inquire that's the that's, even if if you have a relationship with your um specialist who's on who's supporting your transition then speak to them about it because there can be things where you need to look into, into a bit more detail with it but then a focus on your diet how is your diet are you going to the bathroom every single day? Are you do you, are you satisfied with your quality of your stool? You know, so that's the important thing. The last thing I said was about the blood sugar, and I know we talked briefly about how hormones work together. So you know, there's a connection between blood sugar regulation, insulin, which supports, which is um, a hormone released from the pancreas to control the amount of sugar in our blood, and other hormones. So I'm not going to be one of these people that say you have to avoid all sugar and keep everything out. A bit of sugar here and there isn't going to do anything. But having a mindful approach to sugar, what it will do is can help you uh, help balance your blood sugar and therefore may help balance hormones, if that makes sense. So the key thing with looking at your blood sugar is how much sugar you're having in the day. Are you having sugar snacks? Are you having sugar in your tea? And what about the makeup of your meals? You have to think about, does your protein, which is usually in things like uh, chicken, meat, um, eggs, cheese, legumes, nuts, seeds, is that on your plate at every single meal? Because that will also help balance your blood sugar. Yeah, yeah. So, And I guess also as well for um, anyone listening who mightn't be familiar um things like also considering things like alcohol and uh some of the sources of sugar that we not, might not think about um are are probably quite important exactly so this is why you need to think i'm thinking of someone who might want you starting their transition this is the time to start familiarizing yourself with nutrition principles because it's only going to help help you it will never hinder you so alcohol will always turn to sugar in the blood so, uh, you know, looking at, um, at the type of carbohydrate you have with your food. Are you having white bread sandwiches all the time? Perhaps you could change that to ripe rye bread. But it's simple changes because I'm aware that, say, if you've got enough on your plate with transitioning, you don't want to add more to it and think, God, this is going to be a chore. And it's often nutrition is the one thing that's like, oh, I haven't got time for this. I'm going to shelve it. But the benefits, when you start to see them, they're incredible. And yeah. And I think, I think just, you know, highlighting that nutrition can have an effect um, on this process is really, I think it's really empowering in a way because anyone who's listening who, you know, might be at the beginning of their, their journey of transitioning, you know, it might be an idea to look into that, those dietary factors now. Mm -hmm. For sure. Looking at the amount of sugar you have and looking at how your body responds to stress and also considering your digestive health. And when you go down, start to go down the medication route, 
then look at what foods are good for my liver or what what am I doing? What's my lifestyle like? Could I be supporting my body any better? You know, these are things. But to go back to your original question, there are some specific female to male and male to female uh, support. And, you know, I could go on and on about this, but um, with female to male, there's, you know, potential hair loss issues in uh, where you may have not had it before. Um, it could be, you know, hormone-related issues such as polycystic ovaries, which is um, a group of symptoms that affects the ovaries and ovulation. So, or it could be migraines, pelvic pain, and by pelvic pain, I mean changes to the vaginal flora, uh, the vagina tissue changes. So these things can be things that you would class as like a niggling issue. And you might not necessarily be aware of them so much, but you might also want to start to address them, um, you know, even if it's a, t- a migraine or... And these all, all these things can be helped with nutrition. And that's the important importance of it. Yeah, well, I guess what I was thinking as you were speaking there is, um, so can some of the traditional nutritional approaches still work in these cases in terms of, you know, um, say, for example... Um, supporting your iron levels or your zinc levels when it comes to when it comes to hair loss or you know supporting your gut bacteria and microflora and things like that do those still apply even though I imagine that there's more of a hormonal influence well yes exactly so it's there is the hormonal influence but you can do a lot of things to improve over quality or prevent or say if it's hair loss for example you can slow it down or you can um, you can improve the quality of your hair. So I'm thinking in the top of my head, just like, well, if I want to slow down the hair loss, which is a side effect, say, from maybe taking testosterone, what I may do is, is look to see if there's any nutritional support that can alter the enzyme that testosterone, which is which is which testosterone is responsible uh, for the hair loss in terms of when testosterone therapy is used. And there are nutritional supplements that might help this. There are things like biotin that might support the actual hair quality. Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier, thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. 
Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. But I always have to stress when I talk about supplements, be really careful when you're taking supplements because you need to get ideally advice because you're on medications anyway. And then you have to look at the side effects of you know, the possible interactions between medications and, and nutritional supplements. What I think is important for people to understand is the importance of getting a, a recommendation when it comes to your supplements, ideally getting some sort of testing as well, um, because they can be quite pricey. And oftentimes you're only going to see the difference when you're taking the right thing, right? Exactly. And I think, you know, supplements can, you can either, if you can be quite targeted, but you can still miss the point. For example, if a digest, if it's a digestive issue and it turns out that you might have an, an infection or you're not, you don't need, you're lacking enzymes and you're just throwing a probiotic in, sometimes you can make things worse before they get better. So just be mindful. And I always stress the food first approach. And that's what I've done all the way through my book is just go, this is why I say, get the foundations right. Because Yes, a supplement might help in certain situations, but if your diet and lifestyle isn't right, then you know you need to consider that. But they're also, you know, I don't mention the female to male, but they're also the male to female. There, you know, there's certain things like slightly elevated cardiovascular risk, slightly risk of um, clots, um, and slightly risk of bone density disorders such as osteoporosis. But so these are things that probably are quite, um, you know, they're related to HRT, which people will take when they are perimenopausal. So it's, it, these things make sense and they're logical, but you can support things. So if I'm looking at, say, the elevation of cardiovascular risk, does that person eat um, a healthy diet? Are they getting enough oily fish in, in terms of omega-3? So omega-3 is a good... Uh, nutrient which supports cardiovascular health. That's the way my mind's working with this. So with those who are transitioning from male to female, um, there are also some side effects such as uh, cardiovascular risk elevations, slight increased uh, risk for uh, blood clots, and slight increased risk for um, bone density conditions such as osteoporosis. Now, these are generally a side effect from the medication uh, estrogen, uh, but not, doesn't happen in everyone. Uh, it's, a, it's a risk and it's, it's what's in the research. So the way I look at this is like, well, how is, is someone who is on hormone therapy, how is, their, how is their cardiovascular health in terms of assessment? Is their diet nice? Is their diet healthy? Are they exercising? Are they not smoking? So, and are they perhaps eating a functional food for cardiovascular health? such as oily fish. How many portions of that are they having? And that can is rich in omega-3s, which is supportive of cardiovascular health. That's the way I look at supporting these specific risk factors for hormone therapy, depending on which, which way, which way um, someone is transitioning. And then there's things like, you know, if, you, if, you, if it is a risk of osteoporosis, look a bit further. And is, is that client actually at high, high risk for it? Is there family history of it? Is there... Um, what's their vitamin D and calcium levels like? So these are things that you have to then unpick it a bit. So on the top level, you've got the foundation diet. The middle bit, you've got, are you supporting the digestion, the liver, and the balancing, support, uh, supporting the blood sugar? Underneath that, you then have, are there any modifiable um, 
uh, is there anything that you can support that might uh, be a risk factor for that person? So it's it's unpicking it, but you know it, this sounds all very scary, and I just put the f- you know, putting the information out there because it's just it, it also I always say to someone, look, look at the information, take what you can from it. If only if you can implement one or two changes, that's perfect. And I think we're so used to thinking we have to do all or nothing approach. And then we go, oh, I can't do this. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's quite, that's really transitioning in a, in a nutshell in terms of nutrition. The other thing we haven't really talked about is weight. Um, so really it, it depends on the person. So if, you know, if hormone therapy usually means it's fat distribution changes. That can be a good thing. You know, you're looking either more at the, person that you 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 want to be and you you are inside so another area that i've heard you speak on is nutritional support for um, hiv now Mm -hmm. as we know hiv can be experienced within any group of people um why do you feel that it's pertinent to highlight this within the lgbtq plus health conversation um i think it's there is a there is it's there are a lot of people in the community who are living with HIV. And that's why um, the more education on the subject, and I think in the community, the charities, the outreach, what's it is incredible. There is a lot less stigma around HIV now. Um, we know that someone who is HIV undetectable cannot pass on the virus to someone else as long as they're stable on their medication. We've got instant testing, amazing drugs. People live long, healthy, uh, lives with who are living with HIV and HIV is invisible. You wouldn't know, be able to tell. And I think you know we we are quite used to looking at seeing you know, dramas on TV with where they show people with quite with, with HIV is there. It's people with quite distinct symptoms of HIV. But you have to remember a lot of these were set in the eighties where we didn't have the medication, but now we have amazing drugs. People will live a long, healthy life. And we also have, for those who are HIV negative, um, PrEP, which is a pre-exposure prophylaxis treatment. So it's a daily medic- medicine for those who want to, who are HIV negative, and want and and can use it to another another preventative uh, tool for HIV. So okay, so then with regards to um, the nutrition piece of the equation. Um, where does that fit in, in terms of, of treatments or even in terms of supporting um, some of the medications? Well, I think it's important to say, you know, just like, you know, there's no cure for HIV. Yeah. So this is definitely <laughs> where I'm not going. And, you know, the reason why I'm giving a nutritional uh, HIV and nutrition uh, segment is because mm-hmm. it, HIV positive people can be some of the most vulnerable in the community. Um, so, you know, where nutrition comes in, it's like, you know, you look at the, you know, again, look at your foundations of health. You know, are you in a position to then make changes once you've got a semi-healthy diet? Um, but a healthy diet can support weight goals for those living with HIV, energy levels, support your immune system, and help minimize side effects if there are any from medication. So we used to have a lot more side effects than we do now with medications. Um, but you know, HIV can be asymptomatic. So it's, so it's, or there are mild um, side effects. So 
These can include things like weight loss, appetite loss, um, fatigue, digestive conditions, body fat changes, although that's more associated with older HIV medication, rashes, nausea, headaches, and changes to blood chemistry and um, kidney and liver. So, you know, the one main thing is that um, the inc- people living with HIV have an increased energy and nutritional requirement. So, it, so this is quite important to support the immune system to actually fight HIV um, and other infections that may be present. But also, can um, the World Health Organization recommends that HIV positive individuals who are not even even not experiencing symptoms should increase their calorie intake by ten percent. So that equates to say roughly about two hundred and fifty calories. Now, I'm not saying to go and measure again you know, your 250 calories extra a day, it's simply another snack a day. A handful of nuts and an apple is pretty much what what will do it. But I think for those who are living with HIV, you think more about how do I support my immunity? That's that's what's going on. Um, But your diet rich in fruit and vegetables will do just that. Your immunity is based on both your diet and lifestyle. So as a general rule, I want anyone who's even listening to this to who is living with HIV to try to increase their fruit and vegetable count. That's six portions of fruit and ve- six portions of vegetables and two pieces of fruit. But the important thing is not to have the same bland colors all through the through the plate. Keep in mind the eat a rainbow principle. So you know, what it will do is all the different nutrients in these colours, the polyphenols and everything else, what it helps to support your immune system. But it also encourages gut bacteria diversity. And there's a big link now with gut and gut and immune system. But also it helps increase, um, you know, more fibre in your diet and helps support gut health and absorption of nutrients. So... um, the other thing is to look at those that who are living with HIV will always have an activated immune system. And even if they have an undetectable viral load. So this can lead to chronic inflammation in the body and increased risk of age-related diseases such as cardiovascular diseases, osteoporosis, liver disease, kidney disease, cognitive decline, cognitive decline. So there are some functional foods that can help support inflammation in the body. So, you know, someone living with HIV should be consuming things like berries, uh, fatty fish, broccoli, avocados, uh, bell peppers, uh, turmeric, extra virgin olive oil, dark chocolate, and also mushrooms. Think about when you go to the supermarket, don't just buy closed cut mushrooms, buy the Asian variety. So mm. the shiitake, reishi, oyster, mm. they're so good at supporting your immune system. They're such a functional food. And, I and really, delicious. Exactly. And you can make them so tasty and put them in anything. They're quite versatile. So, mm. And I think then, when you're, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I think when you're talking about the, the, the inflammatory aspect as well, um, I think it's interesting to bring it back to what you were saying earlier and um, some of the other causes of inflammation that we can think of, like consuming processed foods or high stress or or not sleeping well, all of these things as well. I'm assuming managing those along with 
with increasing um, those beneficial foods would also be a factor? Absolutely. These are things that are happen in everyday life. So much as, you know, not having good sleep can really impact your immune system. It can, so think about the the sugar, the refined carbohydrates, the processed food, uh, any trans fats in our diets, um, these to avoid, but you also touched on stress. You know, you must not forget lifestyle. And, you know, stress is good. Exercise within limits. I don't, I'm not not a big advocate of doing loads of HIIT training because it actually can, cause more elevations in your stress hormone cortisol and te- w- wear you out. And I've seen many clients burn out from just doing things like HIIT classes. But actually, I find that we've, we're very good, like I'll go to the gym or if we, you know, or doing an exercise. We're not very good at winding down and, and, cu- and tuning into our parasympathetic nervous system. So, and there's actually research on something called, um, a practice called Qigong. And it can actually increase immunity in those who are who are living with HIV. So it's actually done specific research on it. So put simply, stress really interferes directly with the immune system. We can't avoid it, but you can manage it. And uh, so doing, you know, calming exercises, if Qigong is not your thing, meditation might be good for you, or even going for a walk and listening to a podcast, you know. Exactly, listening it, to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Like as soon as you start taking, addressing the stress or or relaxing or learning to relax without guilt, Mm -hmm. you will then have a knock on effect on all of your, uh, your actual physical health. So. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting uh, what you raised there in terms of exercise, Um, because going back to what you mentioned about stress and also talking about weight loss, you know, when we think about weight loss, we often the first two things that come to mind are diet and exercise. Um, And I think when you're talking about um, uh, an individual who might be facing a a lot of increased stress, the going for those really intense workouts may not always be the right thing um, in those cases. Is that what exactly. you're saying? Yeah. yeah. So you may be addicted to this type of workout. It might make you feel, you know, I've destroyed myself because you're forgetting the stress. Yeah. But it's actually causing a lot more stress in itself. And you'll notice this. So say, for instance, if you're doing a lot of high-intensity training, you've also have quite a stressful day. Mm-hmm. And you suddenly you start waking up in the in the middle of the night. Yeah, or you're not. You find a while to get to sleep. Yeah, that's a sign that you know you're you're not recovering that well. Mm-hmm. And there are many like you know, nice little tech gadgets that you can wear now, like an aura ring or a, a Fitbit or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. These things can help you measure your sleep. And if your recovery isn't good, listen to your body, and then don't yeah. think you know either do a slower session or not or skip the day. I think the hardest thing for sometimes for us to do is to do nothing yes <laughs> take some time off particularly with the home working as well like you know we've we're now since we're now all still working at home we're going from zoom to zoom meetings mm. we don't take the same breaks as we used to yeah yeah the so, moments just to relax and breathe and take a moment exactly so it's being a bit kinder to yourself and on that note if you are feeling that, you know, HIV is, is is a vulnerable thing, you know, if you are feeling it's getting, a, you know, not addressing it or understanding the, you know, the other issues that might be going on for you, there's no shame in reaching out for some psychological support. 
and mm. getting, because that can also help unpicking things and then you don't feel so stressed about certain aspects of your life. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think having some other resources to sometimes just um, being able to speak on something is is so healing in and of itself. Exactly. Yeah. So Amazing. Um, so I know that there's so much more to say um, on this area and so many more aspects to to speak on but I didn't we're getting close to um, needing to wrap up but I didn't want to wrap up before at least touching on mental health Um, and I guess my question is what are some of the greatest mental health challenges I know you you mentioned some in the beginning um, but when it comes back to nutritional support again um, what are some of the things that maybe we can implement in terms of supporting our our mental well-being along with you know reaching out to your healthcare provider or seeking out therapy or all of those other options so I'll okay. So I will talk directly about the nutrition side of things. Mm-hmm. So the food we eat doesn't just fuel the body, it affects the way we feel. Mm-hmm. So you can go on a diet and lose a bit of weight, you feel happy and content. That contributes to your mental health. You can eat to prevent a chronic health issue, uh, and that helps you live longer and better. And so that um helps. But there's also the ability for nutrition to act as a therapy for mental health conditions. So often, you know, you know, examples might include the impact of sugar and deficiencies in certain nutrients, essential fats like omega-3s, vitamins and minerals, the quality of the food. All of this influences your uh, mood and behavior. So going back to that foundations, a diet rich in lean protein, complex carbohydrates, fruits and vegetables can all be things that affect your mental health. I said example of oily fish, think about, you know, vitamin D. Is that something that's quite low and that's important? How's your gut health? There's a lot of research going into how the, you know, uh, if if you're suffering from depression, there's 90% of our serotonin the body makes is is in the gut. So, you know, there's a big link around that. Um, But, you know, so that's where you have to look at, you know, in terms of, you know, what can I do to support my mental health? There could be genetic reasons for it if you can't even explain it. Mm-hmm. And that's when you need to reach out to someone and say, look, is there anything I can do to understand this a bit better? And what can yeah. I do? You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's very interesting because I think, you know, a lot of what you're saying comes down to that foundation in terms of, you know, there's, it's the it's the leafy greens and the oily fishes and the healthy fats such as your avocado, your nuts and your seeds that, you know, your six plus portions of, of fruits and vegetables, um, all of these different things that are are providing all of those nutrients that not only can support your mental well-being, but also um can support some of the other aspects that you were talking about, like your cardiovascular health and and all of that. So what I'm really hearing is that kind of that real importance of of learning and and working on getting that um, nutritional foundation solid um, and kind of going from there. Absolutely, and that's the thing. You might be tempted to think, well, I'm going to try the nutrition route, and you end up in the supplement store. Yeah, buying this sixty pounds supplement that you know. Is, is probably not going to do too much if you haven't got the right diet and lifestyle. And it takes a while. It takes about, you know, two, a month to be able to see how nutrition is impacting you in a positive way. And there may be ups, there may be downs, but it's, you know, just be a bit kinder to yourself. Always practice progress, not perfection with nutrition. 
Mm. That's a that's a wonderful line, actually. I agree. I think it can be it can be a little bit tough to um, it, particularly in the early days when you're when you're trying to change some of those habits, um, you can't really immediately see that effect all the time. So there's a lot of trust in knowing that that you're doing the right thing with eating your vegetables. Exactly. <laughs> So I just want to finish on a few kind of quick fire questions, um, if that's okay with you. Yes, go Brilliant. Ahead. Um, so I guess my first question being, from your experience seeing so many clients over the years, what do you think is one of the biggest barriers to implementing better nutritional practices? I think the biggest barrier is when you make a mistake or you fall off the wagon thinking that's the end of everything. And then, uh, you know, you go off the rails completely. I think that's probably, and complicating the process. Ah, that's a, that's really interesting um, that you say that. Yeah, that, you know, thinking that once we've fallen off the wagon, that trying to get back on um, can the be... The all or nothing approach. Yeah. So I know when some of my clients have gone silent and I'm not like, <laughs> I just send them a message saying, look, you know, that's getting con- this, don't stress it's okay you know this is why I have a job in the first place <laughs> <laughs> exactly and I think you know I often think as well in terms of if you if you really look at, at the nutritional research out there you know while okay in an ideal world we wouldn't be eating any highly processed foods or probably not much sugar and, um, you know, trans fats, things like that, even if we're still consuming those things, you're adding more benefit to also include all of the the fruits and the vegetables and the, the healthy fats and the nuts and the seeds and all of that. Even if you're still doing, you know, eating the things that maybe aren't going to be as good, don't use that as a reason to exclude the, the good for you things as well. 100%. Sometimes I just put breakfast into a client's diet and say, look, let's get breakfast nailed and mm. then we'll come back next, mm-hmm. next time. So mm-hmm. I love it. Um, so then for anyone who might be struggling with some of the issues that we have discussed, um, I have a feeling I might know what you might say on this, but what are some of the, some good first steps to take? So if there were three, just three takeaways that people could, um, could take from today's conversation, what might those be? I think first of all, don't suffer in silence. There's a lot of information out there in terms of to get some support. Um, this is also hopefully going to coincide with, you know, my book that I'm releasing to be able to give you more education around it um try if you want to change one or two things a time don't overload yourself because you'll end up with that all or nothing approach and then do what suits you what suits your lifestyle don't be bombarded with all these blogs the news saying how you should have what you should have an example might be, say if you're someone that, you know, you really feel that no appetite in the morning, but we're told breakfast is really good for us. And you just feel like I really don't want breakfast. And it's just so it's about, you know, that works for you not to have breakfast. So breakfast is, you know, doesn't take exactly when to have it. So it's, it's but so just be a bit more personal with your nutrition. Mm-hmm. 
Excellent. Amazing. Um, and my final question for you, uh, which is always a lovely little wild card at the end of these health podcasts, but being that we are BBC Good Food, um, the joy of, of cake and bakes and things is very important to us. Um, and I think it's always really interesting to hear um, from someone in the, the health and particularly nutrition field. Um, when you're... Um, wanting a cake or something like that what's your go-to so if i'm having cake i absolutely love carrot cake Ooh, if i'm gonna nice. have carrot that's a good cake for me to be given i wouldn't necessarily make it myself either either so it's it's something that i would either try off someone else's or buy mm. so and that's something i will have but i want it to be good quality i don't want to you know and i'll enjoy it and i won't feel guilty afterwards so absolutely and i mean even though carrot cake is a cake you're still getting uh you know often it's made with wholemeal flour you're getting raisins you're getting carrots you're still exactly. getting something you can make it healthier but you yeah know, you, you can make it flourless you can make it gluten-free you know mm-hmm. all of these health but if i really want something i will have it and i will it's taken me a long time and many years to actually become comfortable with because i used to be someone that, that what is the all or nothing approach and yeah I would, you know, uh, what I've described to you today is probably what I've lived. And mm. I would have this and then punish myself afterwards. And, mm-hmm. and now I'm like, no. And actually, in fact, it works out. You know, I, I, I actually naturally crave it less because when I have it, I really enjoy it and I don't restrict. So... Absolutely. It's, um, and I think as well, you know, when you think about um, some of the emotions that that can come up when there's, um, say, a food, for example, that you're trying to restrict or or say no to, you know, all of the internal stress and and negative thought patterns and things, how they can affect our our cortisol levels and everything like that, that then can have that knock-on effect to everything we were discussing earlier. So I think those factors are really important to consider as well. Exactly. It's about having it not to numb a more cough for comfort. It's about mm. having it when I want to have it because I really feel like I want to have that. You know, I've got everyone wanting carrot cake now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I'm just thinking you're actually the second guest this season that has mentioned carrot cake. So we'll see if there's a third. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Three's the magic number. Um, we might have to do like a celebratory carrot cake, <laughs> cake cook along episode. Yeah. Well, that's all we have time for, I'm afraid. But thank you so much for listening. And Daniel, thank you so much for being here. I'd just like to reiterate for anyone listening that we all experience a unique set of challenges when it comes to our health and well-being. So it's really important to speak to your healthcare provider before making any changes to ensure that you're getting the right ones for you. But hopefully what this has highlighted is that there is support out there and you don't need to suffer. As always, you'll be able to find more details about Daniel, as well as links to his upcoming book and what we've spoken about today on our podcast page at bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's been wonderful. Thank you for listening to the BBC Good Food Health Podcast. For more information, visit bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode.